Once again, we take flight here with the Greg Proofs Film Club at Hollywood's most enchanting cinematic dynasty, the Cine Family, located here in the uh, expensive tennis shoe and baseball cap district of Los Angeles, where you can find douchey guys with nothing better to do than sit in a line all day long waiting to buy tennis shoes and then sell them once again on the web. Uh, this used to be the Jewiest neighborhood in LA and uh, now that's not happening anymore. Uh, there's a few outposts that are standing hard, of course. Uh, here and there, there's a few Judaica stores and uh, uh, of course, uh, uh, Canters, uh, where antique sandwiches are available every day at very <laughs> discounted prices. And once again, we join hands and join hearts and try to find cinematic excellence. Tonight, we're going to be gazing at 1941 uh, Preston Sturgis comedy screwball classic. Uh, I almost said <laughs> Sullivan's Travels, which is also from 1941, but it'll be The Lady Eve with Barbara Stanwyck and Henry Fonda. <laughs> I looked and I looked and I tried and I tried and I spied and I peeped and I couldn't find a free version, but uh, it's $2.99 if you go on YouTube and uh, uh, often I try to find a free one so that you don't have to pay to see it because this is how this film club works. Uh, we uh, talk about it and then uh, you, we're gonna screen it and then afterward we'll have a few minutes where we'll all kick it around the room and shit like that. Um, uh, we, outside, I'm, I'm completely distracted because we haven't been talking about 40s movies outside, except for the fact that Jennifer and I watched a couple of Abbott and Castillo films that were showing the other night on TCM, and uh, one of them was called Hold That Ghost? Something, something about a ghost. And uh, the Anders sisters were in it, and there was some egregious racism that was, uh, yeah. The, you know what? America. Um, we were never different, and it was always funny. Am I right or am I right? You know what? Let me off the hook. I don't have to have white guilt. I'm just going to sit here and watch this and pretend it never fucking happened. Um, no, I think you have to show it, and I think you have to acknowledge uh, that we were this way. And it was the comedian Ted Lewis who used to sing, uh, whose, whose catchphrase was, is everybody happy? Which was a famous catchphrase for a long time. And watching him do it on screen, he had a very valiumed out. I can't think of a 40s sedative, um, because it was definitely a 40s sedative that he was emulating. And what was it? Yeah, whatever it was. It was a sponge filled with ether. And... Uh, <laughs> His demeanor on stage, he wore a tuxedo and a top hat and whatnot, very elegant, elegant band and whatnot, and he go, hello everybody, and then he goes, is everybody happy? And then the crowd goes, yes, in the movie, and he goes, then everybody dance. And I was like, wow, dude, where's Jim Brewer? This shit's not getting off the ground here, man. We're high, and... Uh, and yeah, uh, but the Andrew sisters were in it and Abbott and Costello who are immortally funny. Uh, we're just trying to keep in the time period that this picture's in because after that they showed Buck Privates which is um, uh, an enormously huge hit in Abbott and Costello's first sensational picture and it's from the same year as this which is 1941. Uh, 1941, people talk about 1939 a lot and, and quite rightly because, uh, you know, golly, any year with The Wizard of Oz and uh, Mr. Chips and... Uh, uh, Gone with the Wind, all in the same, and Stagecoach, we can, we can go on and on. Um, I don't think we've ever shared a picture from 1939. And you know why? Because we're cool. You know, yeah, anybody can pick a movie from the best year of cinema in the history of mankind, uh, or Hollywood, rather. In any case, this is 1941. Uh, also, Preston Sturgis made the picture Sullivan's Travels this year. Here's what came out in 1941, and this is just a couple of them, and these are the best ones, or sort of the better ones. Um, the Devil and Daniel Webster, uh, which is also known for some reason as All That Money Can Buy. 
Uh, and of course, that's where he has to buy his soul back from Mephistopheles, and he has to go in front of a trial, and there's a jury of uh, uh, cranky people in hell that, uh, do, yeah, oh yeah, fuck yeah. Uh, th there's nothing about the 40s that isn't more cynical and knowing than anything we could dream of now. Uh, you have to remember, they've been through World War I, it's been, uh, what, 15, 18 years, and then now comes World War II, and uh, uh, we've had the Roaring Twenties, we've had insane depression. Um, everyone knew everything about whatever little thing it took to survive, and I hope you can read into that more than I could ever explain to you in graphic detail. In any case, uh, and it was supposed to be funny, but thank you for uh, going quiet there. That made it, I think it gave the, uh, the podcast a macabre feel that the people who are listening uh, when they watch on the night, hoping for hilarity and screwball comedy and unbelievable sexual escapades and pratfalls and William Demarest shouting. Um, does William Demarest have another gear besides, hey! I don't think he does. You never really see William Demarest playing that fucking breakout role where he's a homosexual French dancer or whatever. I got feelings. Buku feelings. Dumbo is from 1941. Speaking of racism, uh, everybody knows that Dumbo's like Bambi. It's irresistible. You will bawl like a fucking four-year-old who's had their fucking doll taken away from them. Walt Disney's the most manipulative director. Uh, and the, thank you. Someone just went, ah! I don't know if that was a laugh of ascension uh, and I was getting a witness or that was a scoffington, Skeptosaurus laugh. How can you say Walt Disney's the most manipulative director uh, when I feel that there's so many others more manipulative? Really? Um, how many people would have a cute little deer with enormous cartoon eyes have their mother killed in the first fucking reel just so that you'll stay watching, okay? Uh, and Dumbo, uh, I don't want to spoil the plot for you, but he's an elephant. Oh. <laughs> Then, here comes Mr. Jordan, uh, which the original one uh, is the same movie as if you saw it in the 70s, it's, um, uh, we were just talking about it outside, Warren Beatty, Heaven Can Wait, uh, they renamed it. Uh, they made it, uh, I think, three or four times. Uh, it's where the guy who dies and then his guardian angel comes and he has to come back. Awesome premise that permeated the 30s and 40s, maybe because so many people were dead. Um, <laughs> then, the tremendous High Sierra with Raoul Walsh, uh, with uh, Humphrey Bogart and uh, Gloria Graham, is it? Is she the girlfriend or is it Shelley Winters? Ida Lupino, I had every chance in the world to get it right the first time. Thank you, it's Ida Lupino. Ida Lupino weighs approximately 45 ounces. She could be found in a jar in a freak show. That's how small Ida Lupino is. And uh, she's in a lot of uh, amazing movies and directed. Uh, some terrific pictures as well. Uh, uh, High Sierra she's in, and uh, that, that's one of the uh, gangster movies that takes place in the countryside or even in the mountains, which is really wild. Um, Hold Back the Dawn is a, a picture that um, I think is, is the last picture Billy Wilder wrote with Charles Brackett. And um, it's, a, it's kind of a melodrama uh, spy thingy. Then the picture the one best movie was, How Green was, by the way, when I say picture, I mean movies. I was standing, I've talked to people here and they went, do you mean a picture like where we are right now? And I meant, no, I meant the picture we're showing tonight. Uh, evidently, I'm the only person left in Hollywood uh, next to that woman who <laughs> says picture. 
because that's what they are. They're moving pictures. Um, you can call them cinema if you like. But last night I was at Doug Benson, who is uh, Saint Hallowed be that name. We were at the, the Doug Benson interruption right here at the Cine Family, and he showed uh, a tremendously powerful motion picture called wow. San Andreas. It was. <laughs> The story of Saint Andreas, uh, he was a medieval saint and uh, Dwayne the Rock, uh, whatever his name is, played him and it was a very evocative movie when the bird landed on his finger and he fed it a worm and then he thought about God and what it was to be a Franciscan. It was really an important moment for Dwayne the Rock, whatever his last name is, uh, person. the, the premise of San Andreas uh, really left me uh, hotted up because uh, he was an L.A. Uh, county employee who rode a helicopter uh, to, sell, to save people. So I was going to say salvage. To salvage people. Uh, people in L.A. get dated and then they need to be salvaged. You know what I mean? It's not so much we get in trouble as we go past our era and then, oh, fuck, I've got to pull you out of that and reinvent you. A little rehab, now you're a country star. So... Uh, he salvaged people in the beginning of the movie. Then when the earthquake hit, uh, he didn't do anything to help anyone through the rest of the movie. He focused on his family. And uh, it was pretty weird to watch two hours of a movie where 30 million people in the state of California die. And our hero just fucking, I'll fly right over that. I see her over there in the wreckage. And there was actual scenes like that. Flying into a wrecked city and going, oh, there she is. I'm not fucking kidding. If it had been made in the 30s, people would have got up and walked. Last night, people were actually quiet during the scary scenes. Whatever, you fucking bitches. People thought the cabinet of Dr. Caligari was fakey when it came out, okay? And people sat last night in gripping terror at fucking San Andreas. Oh, they soon snapped out of their haze. It was an interruption, so we were allowed to talk through the movie. I'm not going to talk through this movie. Although Doug suggested that it would be good sometimes to have one microphone and just fill in where things got dull. And I thought, "Mm, no. (laughs) I don't know Preston Sturgis, and he never did anything bad to me. And I don't care what his life was like, even though he had the insanity of growing up with a slutty bohemian mom who had an affair with Aleister Crowley, the Satanist, and Isadora, fuck yeah, and Isadora Duncan. Uh, Preston's Church's childhood is the most, it's it's a mini-series, at the very least. (laughs) If it had been made in the 70s, um, I don't know who. Uh, Nick Nolte? I'm reaching. Um, It's just that Nick Nolte was in every mini-series in the 70s. Uh, It would would really be hot reading. And then he finally uh, split his uh, bohemian family, which he decried. And I think a lot of kids, if you were raised in a bohemian atmosphere, I'm certain there's more than one child here named Blossom or Dharma. Um, If you were raised in a bohemian atmosphere, it's not that fun to you. I was raised by World War II parents, and uh, they were, Greg, you don't seem that old. Believe me, it's not my age, it was their age. Um, my parents were senile. Uh, and, and they really did like swing music, like my father liked swing music, like Benny Goodman and shit like that. And he thought Albert and Costello were fucking hilarious. And Ma and Pa Kettle. Um, he had sophisticated a taste. He didn't like Jerry Lewis. And of course, I had to sneak watch because I fucking love Jerry Lewis. Um, but thank you so much. It's, it's the scoffing laugh again. I never know. 
with such an ironic laugh and such a tiny little fox bark. The picture that won best movie was How Green Was My Valley by John Ford. And I won't say anything about it other than it's a lush uh, look at Irish culture. And uh, however, we were at the uh, Turner Classic Movie Movie Festival year before last, and Maureen O'Hara was there, and they showed, or was it last year? The last year, and they showed that picture. And she was there, and she introduced it, and they interviewed her before, and then they showed her, she's 19 in it. And uh, it's fabulous, it's in Technicolor. And uh, you know, if you're sentimental about um, being Anglo and white, uh, or Celtic and white, rather, uh, then it's, uh, as I said once uh, in, in a previous, um, film cast, which I'm not averse to repeating. James Cagney's career is predicated on the fact that everyone in America is Scottish-Irish. <laughs> Thank you. If you accept that premise and that all cinema emanates from that very mood, then you'll understand why How Green Was My Valley um, was. I, oh, I forget who it was. Was it Fonda who said um, uh, uh, John Ford was an egomaniacal Irishman and that's how you had to deal, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, Every lead in every John Ford Western is named McCain, or McCain, or McSwade, or McCain, or O'Connor, or O'Hare. Um, yeah, it's fucking good. Uh, I would recommend. Uh, the thing about Maureen O'Hare when she's 19 is she's absolutely stunning. She has a shock of red hair. If you've never seen a Maureen O'Hara movie, I, there's a couple of, uh, there's an Errol Flynn one where she's a pirate lady and uh, she wears thigh high boots and sword fights dudes and fucking cuts their shit out. And that one really rocks the fucking casbah. They didn't give a lot of women the chance to do that. And for some reason, Maureen O'Hara was allowed to play every kind of role. She wasn't just a bimbo and then like, uh, you know, the D, what's Goldie Hawn's line? Bimbo DA and driving Miss Daisy. Will you please switch your phone to Beethoven? Um, and uh, at least you could answer it for goodness sakes, my, my kittens. Um, she got to play the tough mom. Uh, 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 she's John Wayne's girl in a bunch of movies and she does Pratt Falls and falls into water and whatnot. Um, are we gonna talk about tonight's movie? Whose fucking show is this? Thank you. The Little Foxes by William Wyler is 1941. For reals? Right? It's Lillian Hellman. Um, speaking of lesbians, Barbara Stanwyck is the star of tonight's movie. <laughs> we can say it now, but you couldn't say it then. But I will repeat a joke that was on uh, the Hollywood Squares. Paul, every day, Doris Day drives around Holly Beverly Hills. She's looking for something. What is it? Paul in the block, and Paul goes, <laughs> Barbara Stanwyck. <laughs> As my mother would have said, how do they get away with that? <laughs> I love people who are baffled by the world. You know what I mean? Something happens and it's raw and it's real and they're like, oh fucking, how can they do that? Because <laughs> we're humans and we're, uh, since ancient Greece, there's theater has reflected the human condition, except for Hollywood movies, which still have that, oh my God, they went to Las Vegas and there was a tiger. <laughs> Tigers in Vegas, except for in Siegfried. 
Frank Capra's Meet John Doe came out in 1941. Uh, W.C. Fields' last picture that he wrote, or almost the star of, that's any good, Never Give a Sucker an Even Break, um, which has no plot. That's a good movie. Uh, it's a series of sketches. Margaret Dumont is in it from the Marx Brothers movies. Um, just trying to hip you to something on a long winter's afternoon. Because as you know, uh, right now when we're recording this, uh, and with, if you're within the sound of my voice, and many of the people in this room are, it's the, the latest part of September. And as you know, here in Los Angeles, our thoughts turn to autumn. <laughs> we've had fire season. Uh, we, we've, we've had earthquake weather. Uh, not San Andreas earthquake weather, but uh, weather that I think The Rock couldn't save you from. And uh, Dwayne The Rock... Uh, whatever his last name is. And uh, next, uh, after Christmas comes pilot season. So <laughs> then all the seasons will have been given a nod. Oh, crikey, we have to start this. Uh, Howard Hawks made a movie that I thought was a John Ford movie. And it's called Sergeant York with Gary Cooper and Walter Brennan. And that's from 1941 as well. And here's a bummer that I'm going to lay on you just because of the Republican dem uh, uh, you know, debates that have been going on. The fact that Scott Walker dropped out uh, is going to date the show immensely. But another thing is, it'll be a time capsule. <laughs> it's indicative of uh, the white guy attrition that's going to happen in this fucking raft of fools. I haven't seen this many ugly fucking conservatives together in one place since fucking Ford's funeral. Um, and uh, wow, uh, Frank Capra, uh, Gary Cooper, Barbara Stanwyck, uh, Walter Brennan, Fred McMurray, um, Board Bond, Ginger Rogers, all are, uh, James Stewart, all arch conservatives. It doesn't change my opinion of them. I worship Barbara Stanwyck, and I think her work is uh, beyond and above any political boundaries. Henry Fonda's best friend his entire life was James Stewart. James Stewart was an arch conservative who, by the way, flew dozens of missions during World War II and was an intrepid fucking officer in the war and came back and changed his image utterly. James Stewart movies before the war are cuddly and lovable and he ha 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 ha. After the war, he's a fucking bounty hunter and then he's a psychopath and shit like that. Then there's all the Kim Novak ones where you're like, stop. <laughs> you're creepy and wow. Uh, Henry Fonda, a lifelong liberal, uh, not as kind to his family as James Stewart. And there's the rub, right? Uh, we're all humans and we all have political views and it has nothing to do with our actual personalities. I have no idea other than we've been wallowing the, in this, uh, talking about this movie, uh, my discovery uh, of all these people. In any case, Sergeant York is a, a marvelous motion picture. Also, The Wolfman came out in 1941. Fuck yeah, with Lon Chaney Jr. and Claude Rains. And first of all, if you see the name Claude Rains in a movie, just watch it, at least for the first few minutes. He really never fucking lets you down. I've done him way too many times from uh, 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 Casablanca, which is my, one of my favorite roles, where he's Inspector Reno. And he goes, uh, what is it? I'm but a poor corrupt civil servant. Uh, and then in, a, but it's Lawrence Arabia, where uh, uh, he goes, uh, the desert, right, is, uh, and, and Peter O'Toole goes, it will be fun. And Claude Rains goes, let it be noted that you have a funny sense of fun. 
Uh, Lon Chaney Jr. played the Wolfman 125 more times after this, but the first Wolfman's very good. Uh, Suspicion by Alfred Hitchcock, uh, which my wife Jennifer made me watch la this year. I'd never seen it before, and uh, Cary Grant's is quite good in it. He's he's brittle. He's nasty. He's uh, evasive. He's disgusting. He's the CIA agent who sleeps with her to get what he wants. And her is Ingrid Bergman, who is her usual resolute, awesome, ass-kicking, take-no-names, fucking moral-centered, um, you know, Scandinavian. What's suspicion? This movie is the best Hitchcock movie. What happens in this one is... Joan Fontaine marries Cary Grant, who's married to Ingrid Bergman during World War II. What happens in uh, Notorious happens several years later after the movie Suspicion, but I think I'm uh, not remiss in any way in combining the two movies together tonight and trying to do a mashup of both of them for you. Greg, mashups are so fucking eight years ago. Um, I'm aware of that. This movie, however, is a show about movies as is this show. <laughs> let no one in this room uh, let that stray far from their cognition at any point. Suspicion does not have Ingrid Bergman. However, Ingrid Bergman, my understanding is, was interested uh, in watching this movie later when it came out. <laughs> she was an enormous fan of Joan Fontaine's and uh, at one point they had talked about uh, starting a kind of a Dairy Queen, you know, milkshake place together, but it never really came to fruition. In any case, Suspicion uh, came out this year in 1941. It's an Alfred Hitchcock movie. Cary Grant's in it as well. He doesn't play the same role that he plays in Nutrition. Uh, in Nutrition, he plays a very notorious role. Uh, he's, he's brittle, he's crispy, he's crunchy, he's caramel. He goes into a bowl of ice cream, and when you bite into him, your soft palate is penetrated by the horrible candy, and you feel weird about it. <laughs> In any case, uh, all those movies came out, and um, Preston Sturges is uh, someone that's always worth visiting. Really, his uh, high point is during World War II. He made seven or eight pictures during the war and right after that are uh, superb. And he'd been a screenwriter after he'd been a bohemian child. And then uh, he was, when he was screenwriting, he couldn't get to direct, and he begged them uh, to let him direct. And they wouldn't. And finally, he said, I'll give you the screenplay of The Great McGinty, which has Brian Donlevy and is uh, previous to this by a year. And um, he apparently got $10 for the screenplay. The, the trades reported it was a dollar. They gave him... Uh, directorial control and then Billy Wilder uh, as I said jumped off of this his last picture and then he started directing as well and um, there wasn't that many uh, writer directors in 1941 Rene Claire I'm probably missing a few uh, maybe three or four in the whole fucking world and so people were jealous of Preston Sturges uh, during this uh, part of his career because he was quite highly paid not at this point but uh, quite highly paid and uh, revered and and you'll see why and this is the part I wanted to get to here about Preston Sturges aside from his astounding childhood um, he was working on an autobiography uh, he uh, died in the Algonquin Hotel and his autobiography was called The Events Leading Up to My Death <laughs> A very rare, rare wit in Hollywood. We've shown Leo McCary pictures. Uh, we've shown uh, 
Charles Vidor, we've shown um, the Coen brothers and uh, Peter Bogdanovich, a lot of Woody Allen, a lot of great comedies. Uh, Mel Brooks, we showed that in Scotland, you weren't here. And, um, <laughs> but the events leading up to my death is a cracker. Uh, he never again enjoyed the kind of creative streak. Uh, the, his seven indelible hits, four years, 1940 to 1944. These are Preston Sturges' rules of comedy. And by the way, uh, Barbara Stanwyck and Henry Fonda had been in a, a, a couple pictures before this, including The Mad Miss Mountain, which is hilarious. And um, Preston Sturges was so uh, captivating on the set and was so lively that when they made this movie, um, they didn't fuck off to their trailer between takes. Barbara Stanwyck and Henry Fonda hung around and listened to him talk and they ran scenes and made stuff up. And that says a whole lot about the chemistry in this picture. There's movies where no one gets along and the chemistry is great. And there's movies where everyone had a great time and the movie sucks. This is a movie where the chemistry was great on the set and when you see it on screen, um, you're gonna go home and have some night thoughts. There's a scene uh, where they're in bed. Uh, you'll see it later in the picture. Preston Sturges wore a bathrobe on the set while they shot it to help everyone get in the mood. <laughs> Here are his rules of comedy. You'll see them all observed in this picture. And of course, William Demarest, who never really got the chance to break out and play the Marquis de Lafayette as I wish they'd let him do. Thank you for one person knowing who the Marquis de Lafayette is. In my next film club, I don't know if there's a movie about the Marquis de Lafayette, but in revenge for your lack of response to that last comment, I'm going to show the movie Revolution with Al Pacino. <laughs> we gotta fight the British! One if by land, two if by sea. It's hard going. <laughs> Only Mel Gibson's The Patriot stacks up <laughs> as hard going through the revolution, the way revolution. Now, revolution's worse than The Patriot. The Patriot at least has moments where you're like, okay, I can eat during this. <laughs> Speaking of which, I have no candy. I'm gonna have to run for candy. I'll do that during the preview. Here's the rules. A pretty girl is better than an ugly one. Elect these are comedy roles. Don't fucking freak out. <laughs> I didn't say I subscribe to these and I don't adhere to them. As you'll notice in my show, an ugly middle-aged sweating man is better than a young man. <laughs> it's almost like it's spinning. And we ended up in Hudson's Bay. A pretty girl is better than an ugly one. Is that the second rule as well? No. I read the first one twice. This is comedy, ladies and gentlemen. A pretty girl is better than an ugly one. Yeah, scant laughter on that one. You should never really uh, disarm a joke by saying this is comedy before you do it. It's kind of like when you're at dinner uh, during the holidays and you have to go back and visit the family that you detest, uh, the family that tried to destroy your personality and now you're sharing food with them and you wish you could fucking die. <laughs> you know, your family. And your uncle or your aunt, somebody, probably the uncle who thinks that Mike Huckabee's a great choice and whatnot. 
who's been telling you that Obama's a Muslim all afternoon and actually chased you outside while you were trying to smoke. <laughs> says, uh, I'm gonna tell a joke at the dinner table. And everyone's like, mm. <laughs> Never, ever signpost humor. Here comes this next one. <laughs> Burma shave. A leg is better than an arm. You took politically correct exception to the first one, and quite rightly, that one you can't take exception to. <laughs> Boy, girl, transgender, whatever, whatever be you, a leg is better than an arm. <laughs> Arms are cool. I mean, ask Gomez Adams. He'd nibble on Tish's arm until the fucking kittens arrived back at their domicile. She'd say, oh, boobala, and that was my favorite part, because that's Yiddish, and he'd go, Tish, you spoke French. <laughs> and then he'd just start eating her arm all the way up. Who didn't love that part of the show? It was the best part of the show. Well, Lurch. But that was the other best part of the show. Because when Lurch would go, not Yurang, Yurang was always funny, but when someone would say something stupid, and Lurch would go, Number three, a bedroom is better than a living room. <laughs> or in The Hustler, shh. <laughs> Eddie! You owe me money! <laughs> Number four, an arrival is better than a departure. Number five, a birth is better than a death. Agreed. Number six, a chase is better than a chat. Mm. Number seven, a dog is better than a landscape. Number eight, a kitten's better than a dog. Number nine, a, a baby's better than a kitten. A kiss is better than a baby. And the last one, a pratfall is better than anything. Barbara Stanwyck said this, she married Robert Taylor. He was 28. She was four years older than him when she married him. Why did she marry him, Greg? <laughs> <laughs> she was under contract to a studio. Why did you do what you did? Because you fucking work for an office, that's why. Why did you hide your pudding in the fucking break room? Because you knew someone would fucking steal it. Why did you uh, clear the entire history of what you were looking at? So your boss wouldn't fucking see it. No one in this room has a job. <laughs> no one wants to cop to having a job. Everybody went to a, a Quizno and you fucked off and you went to Chipotle on your own. You wanted to. And then when everybody went, hey, we were all went over to Quizno, where'd you go? You're like, I, I had to fucking make a call. <laughs> oh yeah, moderate laughter. Whatever. I'm gonna add one to Preston Sturgis here. <laughs> Number 12, Quizno's better than a Chipotle. <laughs> I spelled Chipotle wrong. Because no one knows how it's spelled. Chip, chip, chip. 
There's a lot of consonants. It's like a Carlos Castaneda book. There's way too many consonants in the middle of Chipotle. I'm here for the shittiest taco of all time. I don't know how to say the name of your restaurant. And I just transmogrified into an enormous purple moth. That was the Carlos Castaneda part. And whilst being the moth, I uh, noticed that Barbara Stanwyck said this about Robert Taylor in 1939. Um, he was four years younger than her, as I indicated. Uh, 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 whatever side I got this from, it was, it was a cute side, I can't remember the name of it, but they wrote this. She was four year, he was four years younger than she, which raised eyebrows then. <laughs> really, in 1939? What hadn't happened? You killed your grandmother and ate her in 1936, okay? Because there was no fucking food left on earth. The rising tide of fascism created a situation much like the one that's happening in the Middle East now. I mean, really? In 1939, we weren't that cynical? We'd already had World War I and shit? Okay, whatever. <laughs> oh my God, he's four years younger than her. <laughs> Why, that shriveled up, dried up old apple doll? How could she entertain a man of his vivacity? <laughs> There's two things that need looking after, a stump and a widow woman, am I right, right, or am I God, sexism's eternal. Here's what Barbara Stanwyck said from underneath Joan Crawford. She went like this. Lifted her head to the heavens exalted style because no one is a better you know what there might be better actors no one's a better movie star yeah, yeah I'm overemphasizing it but rule number 13 a Stanwyck is funnier than a Crawford that's not profound but it's true Thank you for attending to it. There doesn't have to be tragedy when the phone goes off. If this was the 30s or 40s when this picture was being shown, and by the way, we're wrapping it up. If this had been 1941, my father, uh, who uh, went to the pictures in the 30s and 40s, told me uh, at the start time that we're having right now, they would play Amos and Andy over the PA system in the movie theater because no one would go to the movies if they had to miss Amos and Andy. Fucking A. Now, that's not in a history book. That I didn't see it on a documentary or on, you know, biography or whatever. My father said, I went to the pictures every week when I was a kid. It cost a fucking dime or whatever, or a quarter or whatever. And he would go. We went to see Errol Flynn, this, that. And he goes, at 7 o'clock, Amos and Annie was on for 15 minutes. And the telephone is gonna be our shame in 30 years. When, yeah, yeah. No one will be listening to this podcast in 30 years. But in 30 years time, when everyone has a V chip implanted in their head and we're all dead because there's been a Dwayne The Rock Johnson apocalypse. 
and he wasn't able to save all of us individually in his helicopter. People will be listening to whatever entertainment is going on here and they'll be showing a movie. They'll be showing like a, 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 a flash dance or, 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 some, or a Megan Fox movie and everyone will be going, fucking Megan Fox. Now that's when movies were fucking good. <laughs> right? They'll be showing a Matt Damon movie and people will be crying about Matt Damon. Everyone, see, I know the gentle laughter. Was that your phone? No. No one will claim the phone. I rest my fucking case. The embarrassment of one era is the embarrassment of another era. If you ask someone from 1941 if you stayed and sat and listened to fucking Amos and Andy before they showed the ladies Eve and fucking you cried laughing and they went, no, I didn't laugh. I thought it was demeaning. <laughs> Cut to 70 years later in 2015. 70, I can't do math. Sometime later. Wipe. Is that your phone? Oh, no. That's some inconsiderate asshole's phone. Uh, we've had enough. Thank you very much. We'll be back at the end of this picture. I give you now Preston Sturgis 1941 classic with the indomitably sexy Henry Fonda. <coughs> Excuse me. I've chose this time to have a coughing fit. And the incandescent Barbara Stanwyck, the Lady Eve. Also, like, you know, um, the surreal part of it, you know, the second half when she comes back as another person, and yeah, right? And then that bizarre dip right before the end where everybody's emotionally devastated. And then at the end, William Demarest walks out of their cabin. Well, they're clearly about to finally do what we've... Well, of course, the boat. But then... Oh, golly. Uh, the script is so imaginative. The scene with them on the couch early on uh, where he goes on the floor and she puts her face up against his. I don't... I was reading Roger Ebert today uh, from years ago, and he says that's the hottest scene in cinema. And it's hard to disagree in a lot of ways. Um, Henry Fonda is so fucking good looking in this movie. It's ridiculous. Like, you're like Henry Fonda and then all of a sudden, you know what? He's like Gary Cooper or uh, uh, um, Errol Flynn even. He's, he's really, really fucking groovy. Uh, Barbara Stanwyck's hilarious. And um, Eugene Pallette. Um, I know he comes in like three reel, five reels in or whatever. Eugene Pallette. 
Uh, we showed um, last year for Christmas. We showed um, my man Godfrey, and he's the the dad in that one. And he, they go, "That's my wife." And the guy goes, "That's your wife." And he goes, "Imagine how I feel." <laughs> when he's banging the dishes on the table. And fucking oh my god. Um, Anyway, uh, does any if anyone has anything to say, Robbo's walking amongst you and he'll be touching hands, and then we'll fuck off very quickly into this good night because I did an extra long time in front and I. There's Robbo there. He's wearing an I'm a Pepper T-shirt because he's in a Dr Pepper commercial from 1971, <laughs> which only I remember and you don't. If anyone has anything to say about this picture, this is when we entertain those notions. There's someone. Hi. Uh, Hi. What's your name, darling? I'm Molly. Hi, Molly. We never get women. I'm so excited. Well, I- <laughs> Let's talk forever. <laughs> Usually it's guys and they go, Preston Sturgis, he's really good. Right? You're like, oh, shut up. Uh, well, no, it's great. I actually, uh, I think I missed what your quote was that Barbara Stanwyck said at the beginning. Or at, at your first half, you kept segueing. About Robert Taylor? Yeah. Uh, he was very young and he, uh, he had a lot to learn and I had a lot to teach. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you for asking. Uh, Barbara Stanwyck was abandoned. Her family died quite early, and her dad split, and her mom was killed, and whatever. And she had a terrible childhood. Uh, she was on the streets early and um, <clears throat> went through every machination that uh, a woman could go through. And um, so she was quite experienced when she made this picture, which makes it even more, uh, I don't know, the, the verisimilitude smacks of uh, reality. Uh, which isn't what pictures uh, strive for in any way. When William Demarest falls into a flower garden during a dinner party, uh, yeah. Uh, I, uh, I, this is a screwball comedy, but I don't think it's like um, George Stevens or uh, Howard Hawks, any of them. Uh, Preston Sturgis has a unique quality that's really weird and imaginative. The scene with the horse, where the horse is nuzzling... <laughs> I, can you even think of another film that has a scene like that? I can't. Like, I've seen a million comedies, and that scene, when, and the last time the horse comes back, because it's been a couple beats, and then the horse comes back, Henry Fonda's already put it over here, and it comes back again, and he just fucking deals with it. And, and everyone in the house was charged. That's a fucking great scene in a movie. Uh, and I think that's where he... Um, he stands uh, separate, or I don't know if alone, but he's, he certainly is a, a, a wildly uh, inventive a filmmaker and uh, certainly worthy of, uh, of veneration here tonight. What fills my heart, sorry I stepped on your foot, what fills my heart with uh, uh, joy and uh, um, enthusiasm for film is that uh, this picture is over 70 years old and we've got all these people here on a Tuesday night and everyone really, I think, was grooving, especially on the horse scene, as I say, uh, <laughs> because it gives you something you can't get and, uh, and that, that's what makes this um, so special and uh, so uh, fun for me and for you, as I hope, as well. Uh, we'll be back on October 27th with a Halloween picture. Have we picked one yet? Not really, no. But last year we showed um, uh, I Married a Witch with Veronica Lake and Frederick March, and the year before that, Eyes Without a Face, which was a great picture. And then the year before that, we showed one of my choices, which was um, Dan O'Bannon's um, Return of the Living Dead. So hopefully it'll be in that kind of caliber. In other words, ooky and yet intensely amusing. 
Um, I, I could see my own spittle as I said that last phrase. <laughs> I think we all could. That's what makes it human. Um, thank you very much for coming out tonight. You've been groovy. You've been the, uh, thank you for coming out of the Dreadfuse Film Club. We'll be back on October 27th. And good night. Guests of the Greg Cruz Film Club stay at their own home and drive back using their own vehicle. While in the Fairfax District, be sure to visit 